Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. I'm your host, Jake Brother, the creator of the Comedy Bureau. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. Uh, and because of that, that is why you might have noticed the beginning of the podcast on any podcasting platform is Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. That's not actually the name of the podcast. It's the Comedy Bureau Field Report. But yeah, that's just the name of the network. And it's B-L-E-A-V, but it's pronounced almost like Believe. You come to your own conclusions about that. Uh, I don't want to waste any more time on that. I want to spend more time uh, with my esteemed guest for this week, as I have an esteemed guest every week. Uh, this this time around, uh, we have, I think, one of the more crucial figures in the LA comedy scene, somebody who definitely is pulling the strings, keeping so much of the scene afloat through so many shows she independently uh, produced uh, before quarantine. And even after quarantine, um, if you've gotten to check out Comedy Quarantine on Instagram Live, uh, this is the, I would say, architect behind it. Uh, give it up for Sam Varela, everybody. Hello. Hey, Hi, Sam. <laughs> is it weird to clap still uh, this late in quarantine? <laughs> I don't think I've clapped since before quarantine. Yeah. Even when I went see uh daniel's drive-in thing i don't think i clapped i think i was just honking oh yeah i bet that was definitely a little i i noticed myself clapping and then i then i honked like it was just so natural for me to clap and then i'm like oh right he can't hear that yeah um, i was happy to be in the backup because i was flashing my lights and doing everything i was like i would hate if people were doing that behind me but I'm in the back, so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Daniel Rogue Webb, for those who don't know, got to uh, perform an exclusive drive-in uh, pop-up uh, sponsored by the Tribeca Film Festival, and then I guess w- was being taped for a special by Comedy Dynamics that will come later. Um, yeah, he performed stand-up on a huge stage by the Rose Bowl, and there were like probably, I don't know, 50, maybe 100 cars. Yeah, something like that. It was it was full. As I yeah. said, I was in the back, so it was it was literally full. Yeah, I think I was near the back. Um, it was interesting that um, there was a VIP section in the front where you could actually hear those people laugh over your audio. So I I, I don't yeah, know if those people got to have their windows open or they got to be outside of their cars or something. I think like, they were just mics with their windows open. Oh, interesting. Uh, I definitely tried to like look in and see like how are they, how are they gonna get laughter or whatever. But then they also had all those drones. I don't know if those drones had mics. On yeah. Them. Uh, man, is that gonna be what most of that special is? Is just cutting between drone shots <laughs> to just like look, we used drones for a comedy special, guys. Isn't that so cool? Well, there's also, was that the VIP section that had all those, like, cool lights? Because then I was like, are they just going to focus on those? Like, it seemed like they were lighting the cars to look cool, too. Oh, yeah, that was was right up front. That was right right up front, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, then those, yeah. I I mean, I think they're going to be focused on that mostly, and then, you know, maybe have a few crowd shots that they cut to that are just people flashing their lights and honking and whatnot. 
Yeah, I don't want to embrace drones, but it seems the way to go. The for the moment. time being, I just want to yeah. like people like using new normal or for the foreseeable future. I just want to say for the time being, because <laughs> I mean, you know, I, a lot of what we've gone through right now, and we'll probably get into this more later. Uh, we'll probably stick around in one form or another, like you know, live streaming on Instagram or Zoom or Twitch or YouTube. But I mean, it's not going to be like it is now, and I hope a year from now. You know, like it'll be a mix between the two. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I have been hearing that uh, tw summer 2022 is the estimate for quote unquote returning to normal. Right. Uh, so yeah, normal will be different by then because it'll be like two years of different. <laughs> is, it, is that the estimate based off of like, is that like accounting for people's like, fuckery like oh yeah. i can't remember the source all my sources are instagram posts with sources okay uh, but yeah like some sort of like the same science people that were saying oh we'll be here till july when everything was just starting mm -hmm. uh, are now like okay now because everything like 2022 is like when people could gather again mm -hmm. and without mask and not worry I don't even know if it's without masks or it's just to gather because you know oh, there's so god. much oh god i mean think about like think about like a, a show at this or a basketball game at the stable or any kind of like any kind of stadium size get together right. people fly out for that people come from everywhere so it's like and you know that when the i mean i know that there's niva that um mm -hmm. that i guess lobbying group that's National working. Independent Venues Association. Yeah, and they're trying to get legislation to help indie venues, mm -hmm. um, which hopefully one of the bills that they have going through will happen. But I mean, realistically, the I don't think the government's going to care about live events, mm -hmm. except at the like stadium level where it makes an impact on their community. Yeah. No, the FET, like funding for any sort of indie venue is going to have to come from the state level or the municipal level. Yeah. And I mean, there's been um, micro grants, I would say, um, within LA. I don't think there's been a comprehensive like cultural arts recovery package, but there has been like, you can, you, if you're an artist and like, a performance that you were putting on um, in the LA area got canceled. Like you can apply and it's like a long form, but you can get yeah. a little bit of money. We applied for the city one for a few of my shows and like two of them um, got the grants. Okay. Um, but yeah, there it's, it's very sporadic. And even um, I just applied for the small business loan program because they were saying that, the first thousand dollars is more of a grant because they just send it to you even if you take the loan or not and you don't have to pay it back but then i just got a call today to like get more details and i was like is it still a grant and they're like actually no the money ran out so now it's just a loan i'm like okay i don't want that <laughs> <laughs> oh how wonderful yeah yeah and that's man and that comes at a time when Unemployment insurance federally has uh, ceased, and I mean, they're debating in Congress still over the next package. I'm assuming that there will be another one. It'll probably not be great, too, but I 
there has to be more money. Yeah, I guess they're talking between 600 and 200. Right. Um, but also, like, who knows? Yeah. I mean, the reason they let it run out is really because they want to make people sign up again, um, which, as we've seen through the kind of severely underreported EDD PUA issues, um, like, there are still people that qualified in March that still have not gotten payment um, solely because the bureau itself has not, not your bureau, the EDD bureau has not, um, thank you, thank you. <laughs> has not processed the paperwork. And because of their delay, they then count the case as like, oh, they didn't submit the paperwork in time, even though they did, they just didn't get to it. And then they don't tell the person. And yeah. It's still a nightmare. It's still a nightmare. I'm sure I definitely, when I applied and I applied like, I think in April, um, uh, I waited I mean, everyone had a different experience. Like I was awarded it and then they said there was money uh, like in my account for it, but I didn't get the debit card yet. And I had to wait like a few weeks for that. And that was like kind of nerve wracking. Yeah, I, I, my account got, I got locked out of my account in the end due to faulty information from one of their tech people. But I was locked out for like two months. And even that was just insane. Cause you know, you're calling a hundred times a day, every day. You're emailing right. your senator, you're emailing the National Lawyers Guild, you're just right. trying to find anyone that knows anything. I was going to talk to a lawyer about it. It's like, right. there's, there are resources to try to help, but none of them are actually able to help. And then, you know, the recently the head of the EBD was speaking out, not just speaking out, but just like answering like, yeah, we have like over 800,000 people not processed. Yeah, we're probably not going to get through everybody until maybe September. Like, just kind of like, the beaten down bureaucrat that she was yeah. just like i know it sucks sorry not even sorry just i know it sucks wow <laughs> man what what a great great place to be uh and i'm sure a lot of those people are comedians and i'm sure we're gonna hear bits about it well into summer of 2022 um, that's what i'm saying though i haven't heard a lot of people talking about it i feel like that should be well i well, I mean, you, you'll probably, I mean, we can get to that later too, but I feel like when we talk about comedy quarantine, but I think generally still people and myself included are just going through the trauma of this time. And it's really with the pandemic and with the uprising, it's so like, we, a lot of us don't even feel like being funny. Yeah. I mean, in my comedy quarantine show, booking that, um, it's definitely been a wild ride of navigating the scenes emotions and balancing that line of trying to maintain some sort of uh soapbox for people to talk on and then also not offending people by asking them to do a show in this time and i have i mean i've definitely uh hit people at the wrong time not you know written something to really express my intent you know there are a lot of uh bad and gross producers out out there so you're always you know you always have to think of yourself being judged as one of those and I've grown a lot in the way that I ask people the sensitivity I have for it um but yeah everybody is literally in a different place and every week is different you know one week someone's fine next week a family member is dead like truly day by day is different I correct me if I'm remembering this uh wrong but what on the very first comedy quarantine which was like a huge benefit for ground game LA right yeah Um, 
wasn't Adam Conover on and he was like, oh, experts say 20, like fall of 2021 or whatever is one thing. And like, just he closed with that and everyone was like, wait, what? (laughs) No, that can't be true. I mean, his podcast, uh, not maybe factually, I forget. One of his podcasts was the one where I first heard the July thing back in March when that was thought of as to be insane. Um, so I kind of believe anything that Adam's going to say about this, these timelines. He seems to be, right. he seems to be on the ball with his experts. Right. Um, I want to get into some uh, comedy news that's happening, but just really quick, uh, how are you, where are you quarantining? What's going on with you just on a personal level? Um, I mean, all things considered, I'm good. I was able to get my unemployment and save enough of it to have a little bit of a cushion um, while I continue to figure out, you know, how to um, work and get income in a way that doesn't, um, you know, doesn't have me using my white passing privilege in a way that doesn't actually do the good stuff I want to do. And also that doesn't let me get taken advantage of you know, trying to figure out ways to stay independent, but, um, you know, my, my shows have always been targeted to people like me, so people that don't have a lot of money, that are comedy fans, that just, like, really need uh, laughter to get through the days, um, yeah. and so, understandably, that audience isn't exactly uh, loaded, so yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a balance of trying to, yeah, find a way to survive while also, you know, not... Uh, not ignoring the financial realities of my audience members. Um, but yeah, I'm good. I don't know. I'm, I have a place to myself. I have a dog. So I have some sort of live animal connection. Yeah, he's not here at the moment, but um, I got him in July, in January. And um, it definitely, it was definitely one of those like uh, the universe brought us together things. And it obviously was for this. So I wasn't completely alone for all of this. Um, but yeah, so it's good. You know, I have Wi-Fi. I have a kiddie pool. I'm good. Hey, that's you sound pretty prepared. Yeah. I mean, I've already, you know, my car situation, I've already had uh, my taste of... Uh, yeah, do you want to explain the, uh, really quickly the listeners what happened? Yeah, I mean, so just for background, I am a uh, a disabled woman of color. So as much as I want to protest and stuff, and I'm also in a, the vulnerable groups for COVID, a few of them. Uh, so I can't protest, even though I do want to get out and help, and I don't have the money to donate or you know buy goods necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started painting my car with Black Lives Matter and chalk paint. Um, and it was there for a few months. It was great. Um, I live in kind of a conservative suburb and it was nice to see people, you know, be invigorated by it and be like, yeah, I'm not alone in this place or whatever. Um, and then one day someone had thrown like house paint on it, um, in some sort of weird, unclear, um, act of aggression. Um, but it was fine. Uh, I was able to get it fixed with insurance. Um, a lot of community members came together and donated to help me meet my deductible. Um, so it was good, but it was definitely scary to, yeah. you know. It was know White House paint, I should note. It was yeah. all white. Yeah, White House paint on a black car that said Black Lives Matter. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no proof of what the motive was, but it was definitely a bit intimidating. Mm-hmm. And actually more intimidating was that I knew I had to call the cops to right. process that uh, police report. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got through it and it was fine. So I feel like, you know, it's definitely not the worst thing that could happen at this time, obviously. Um, Black Lives Matter, I can't breathe. Right. But um, it's still terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I just feel like I've had like that, that little cherry pop. So now I, um, now at least it won't be a surprise. <laughs> like, I feel like I've, I've gotten to that point of quarrel where, like, you know, I've seen a little bit of what happens when you voice your opinions uh-huh. and it's fine. I'll keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. My version of that was I, protesters came in, coming from like, I think the second protest at Garcetti's house um, got trailed all the way to my apartment and got arrested at my gate. And there was like five helicopters over my apartment building for like three hours. And like, basically they brought out 30 cops in riot gear and a bus and like multiple squad cars for like 13 people. Yeah. I mean, it's scary right now. And like, we're technically not one of the, one of the states invaded by the federales, but um, I, I kind of think, I don't know. I don't know if it's controversial or if it's wrong or whatever, but part of me thinks that that might be because Garcetti is being so insane on us. Right. He's like, look, I got it covered. I'm on your team. We're, right. We don't need you guys because we're doing the same thing. Yeah, um, we, got, we got plenty of ride gear. We got helicopters out here. Yeah. We don't need Operation Legend coming up here. Yeah. So they're not here, but in a way they're here. And yeah, it's just a little, as long as everybody is on that same page of uh, how serious it is, mm-hmm. uh, I think that helps us be prepared for whatever's coming next. Yeah, I think everyone is. Uh, I think I said this last episode, but I think coupled with that, like everyone is on the same page with how serious it is. And I think people are finally fed up in the way that I think a lot of people have been talking or wondering about for so many years of like, when are Americans just going to not take it anymore? Yeah, it's interesting because we still haven't, you know... It's, it's just interesting because the history is repeating itself mm-hmm. so much. And um, it's weird because, like, as far as, like, 1920 and 2020, it's very, it's very much history repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, it's a little bit of the 60s and 70s kind of uh, cultural rebellion. And uh, even though there's so many more guns in society now than there are then, um, it definitely doesn't feel like the the quote unquote right side of history has uh, either the force or the will to be. Um, I don't want to say violent, but you know what I mean. Like uh, be more aggressive in sure. their tactics. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the other side is very ready to pull the trigger, right. literally sneeze on them or whatever. Right. Um, so it's an interesting time to be invigorated and trying to not feel powerless when uh, all the all the data says otherwise a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of a pandemic, I mean, they didn't have, I mean, there was a world war going on in 1918, but it wasn't something that was like at home that was a result of like 
social injustice and like police brutality, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot in the sense of like, um, not not the not to compare us to the Holocaust or anything like that, um, but like in some of these in the last two world wars, you know, I don't know if it's exactly the history books the way they've taught us or whatever, but it seems like America was always uh, kind of coming in as a savior sort. Yeah. Um, but now we really kind of need a savior for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, good luck getting that when mm-hmm. we've been such an imperialistic force in sure. the world and yeah. no one's tried to stop it before right. this. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel like we need, I don't know where it would come from or who the right like place would be, but it does kind of feel like we're doing a good job of, of uniting uh, of finally uniting, I think, on the liberal progressive side. Sure. Um, but we still need kind of a real leader, obviously. Right. Right. Agreed. And we will tie this back to comedy in a second. But I will say that um, I think I said this on a previous episode as well. But uh, for Biden being the Democratic nominee and, you know, number poll numbers currently point towards him as the favorite. I think if he were to become president, um, he is dissatisfying enough to keep people motivated. Like I thought about, like what, let's say hypothetically, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez got elected president. A lot of people would start disengaging and think, "Hey, I don't have to do anything anymore. She'll go, she'll solve everything." And that's what happened when Obama got, first got elected, and that's why a bunch of like the Tea Party came to power and so many um, elected offices went to the GOP because people weren't showing up to city council meetings and weren't voting in local elections. Yeah, there's, there's, I've been doing a lot of watching documentaries and stuff like that. And just, you know, learning about how, you know, learning who Robert Stone is, learning how uh, the current, the current way the two parties are, uh, ethically each of them has kind of been evolving since the nixon era of you know i'm gonna run on a platform of law and order um so it's i'm hope i hope that people are not only doing the work and the research to realize you know how much white supremacy is normalized in our society and how you know you have to work on not being reactive to that label and instead try to um, figure out what role you played in the system and what you can do to change that. Um, but I hope people are also looking into like, yeah, like the Clinton and the Obama administration and the things that they were doing that we weren't paying attention to because they were Democrat and could play the saxophone. Right. Um, and we had a, we had a budget surplus under Clinton. So yeah. people thought, Hey, times are good. Why do I got to care? Yeah. Times are good, and then isn't like ICE was basically established under Obama, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no. With with our uh, perpetuated idea, even now, as being the world's policeman and spreading democracy uh, abroad, we end up, you know, uh, planting the seeds for sectarian violence that just keep happening cyclically. Yeah, I've been watching. Have you seen? They just put out a documentary series on netflix um about ice uh oh immigration nation that is something yeah 
much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really good. It's, I mean, they, they say that ice didn't want it released. Um, I don't know how much of that is just like marketing or whatever, but, um, it is interesting just cause it is, um, it is what documentaries that film police and other law enforcement is where it's the police saying a lot of hypocritical stuff and, you know, saying one thing, then literally doing the same thing next, or, um, just talking casually in a way that's very dangerous and just, you know, overall being like embarrassing goose who, um, are just kind of brainwashed to be worker bees. And as a former worker bee, um, I'm really offended by that because it just feels like they're brainwashed. Uh, And then, yeah, like Jake said, we'll, we'll make this connect to comedy, but it's just good. It's just good to like, I think all of these kind of political and socio sociological economical things are in the minds of a lot of comedy people, you know, because comedians comment on the world. And right right now the world is, uh, kind of in a state that needs a lot of explanation (laughs) to get to a punchline place. An explanation and exclamation. And the way I'm going to tie it back is, I mean, a lot of that feeds into, I mean, like, it almost seems like, you know, a a societal response when you have all of these things in place and then you want to hear what the people have to say about all of that. So the LAPD would have a uh, Zoom, like, you know, call that allowed for public comment. And then you get a guy saying, like, suck my dick, Michael Moore. Um, and choke on it, I yield my time, fuck you. And yeah. then that becomes like a rallying cry of <laughs> a whole generation uh, that is like demanding for um, defunding the police, perhaps police abolition, uh, divesting all it. Like, that, I mean, that is, I think, how pent up a lot of our frustration and rage is. And like, it leave it to comedy or the vein of comedy uh, that people would tap into to just kind of say something out as outlandish as that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we'll talk about it more in some of these topics, spoiler alert, but um, you know, my personal, my personal favorite kind of genre of comedy was always just um, saying the truth when Mm -hmm. no one says it. Uh, But we're in a state right now where uh, a lot of people are saying the truth. Mm-hmm. So you either have to kind of completely ignore uh, the current situation and try to work on quote unquote evergreen topics, sure. um, which, you know, can still be funny. But I think for the people like me that like that kind of that punch of like comedy and truth, mm-hmm. uh, those comedians need to really, they're doing all this work to figure out all the, mm-hmm. you know, you can say abolish police. Mm-hmm. But if you want to make a joke about it, you need to go deeper than that. And that kind of requires all of this background right. knowledge to make a joke that will hit that same way of being a factual truth that you just didn't think of. Right. Where, I mean, yeah, that actually the, a joke possibly could be so thought provoking in a good way that it actually might affect a little bit of change. Yeah. And we tied it all back together. Great. Um, <laughs> I guess, I, you know, I think you're hinting at a certain thing and uh, we'll get into these news stories. We'll, we'll, this was just breaking right before we recorded this podcast. Um, Eric Andre um, has been named in a fan-made petition to uh, potentially replace uh, Ellen DeGeneres as the host of Ellen as Ellen 
DeGeneres and uh, her show are under investigation for workplace uh, misconduct and mistreatment. Um, Eric has retweeted and shared the petition on social media. And uh, he, I mean, imagining Eric as, uh, you know, the host of Ellen, I mean, it's definitely like an Eric Andre show sketch, but the reality of that would be fun. I mean, I will say, uh, I went home <clears throat> for Father's Day slash my birthday um, after, you know, being safe and quarantining. Um, and for my, for the Father's Day dinner, my dad wanted to watch Eric Andre's special because mm-hmm. uh, he heard it was good. So I'm just saying he does have that boomer appeal, apparently. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yeah? <laughs> It might, it might fit better than we know. You know, this is a new world. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, everything's kind of changing. You know, like we're saying, the, the extremists kind of, the, the liberal comedy extremists, to be clear, uh, have to be a little more extreme now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. it's kind of all, I mean, daytime TV, it, like there's no daytime and nighttime TV anymore now. It's all, mm. it's all just content, so... Yeah, if uh, the Tonight Show can be like G-rated, then <laughs> and it's on like after eleven, then why can't Eric Andre do what Eric would do uh, during daytime on Ellen? You know, I'm yeah. sure he would still give away just as much stuff. It might be yeah. different stuff. He might get a real ranch sponsorship. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's just him and like Michael Rayner, mm-hmm. just that balance of insanity and blue or no and uh clean comedy right <laughs> equals uh, eric andre allen yeah yeah i feel like uh people would probably get a lot of free dildos which i mean amazon's not delivering them so mm-hmm. now more than ever right <laughs> oh i'm sure eric would find a way to like get uh, get it direct from the manufacturer and he would <laughs> like make a show out of personally like coming in a in a, in a van with I mean, he'll make his own. Oh yeah, he'll make his own. He, yeah. That's another thing he could do. Yeah. Um, I mean, so what are your thoughts? I mean, like, on Eric host, like Ellen hosting Eric. It, it possibly could be Ellen with Eric Andre, which also <laughs> makes me think of another great show. I mean, this this is me shoehorning another great thing you did. Uh, there's a thing that Sam uh, produces called the Chris Gethard Show with uh, Robbie oh, yeah. Hoffman. Uh, which is very similar in nature to this story because uh, Robbie continued the Chris Gethard show, which had effectively uh, just kind of stopped and uh, without any really express expression permission from Gethard and does a great job. As her, uh, yeah, I mean, and she's pivoted it in the core to focus on our, you know, the, the what's it called? The bit, the segment. Our, our favorite segment, uh, Dyke Vice, uh, she's pivoted that into a weekly show on Scum, uh, uh, Gethard's new name for the new version of public access television that he has been doing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want to see what the Chris Gethard show with Robbie Hoffman is like, uh, you can still find it. Um, it what We did do an episode with Gethard on is what was it called before scum i'm having trouble remembering it now wait uh so he was doing he was doing the public access show again but he didn't yeah. call it um oh gethard presents they call it chris gethard presents at mnn 
Um, yeah. Now, yeah, now it's Planet Scum Live. Yeah, so on Planet Scum or on Chris Gethard Presents, somewhere out there, there exists the one actually televised episode of The Chris Gethard Show with Robbie Hoffman. And it's, it's great if you like seeing a Hasidic Jewish woman yelling for an hour. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, who's a, a, a very much a lesbian. And uh, it, if you dare be, come close to being critical of uh, Judaism, you will be called out for your anti-Semitism. I mean, just if you exist and you're not Jewish, you yeah. ready to be called out. <laughs> <for your anti-Semitism. laughs> yes, um, I would. On the note, I would definitely urge people to watch Dyke Vice on Thursdays on Planet Scum Live uh, in the afternoon or the evening, depending on where you are. It is definitely one of the funniest live streams I think uh, that I would see in quarantine. Um, but so would you, having been a part of that, would you be all the more for Eric taking over Ellen and mutating it into whatever the hell he would do with it? Well, personally, I don't believe in the late night format. I think it's just a tool for marketing and mm-hmm. uh, just a way for networks to get the word out about their own projects. And, you know, the good ones are able to shoehorn some of their comedy brands into the format um but to me the format itself is so limiting that i feel like um it would be a waste of eric andre or you know any any comedian of note that hasn't been canceled um (laughs) it just seems like they as somebody who has trouble working within a system that's based on arbitrary rules versus like quality of product um I know how Cyclic Nut can be. So I, any comic that I would enjoy, I don't think has any desire to be part of that kind of machine. And especially yeah. if it's quote unquote daytime, um, you know, that's even, that's even, that's the dregs of the promo. You know, that's not even the good, that's not even the good, you're not even promoting the good Warner Brothers movies, you're promoting like the, the YouTube kid that has a deal with Warner Brothers. Yeah, or uh, who that yodeling kid? You, yeah, yeah you, pr- you, pr- you promote viral sensations. Yeah. That's what's on at daytime. But yeah. clean ones. Clean ones. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure it'll just be a fun petition that will get tons of signatures. Um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe Eric will, or Adult Swim will just let Eric do a parody of Ellen, and that'll be that. We'll just see. Um, but it is just some fun bit of news that has nothing to do with anything else right now. Um, <laughs> People want to talk about Ellen. Let's talk about Ellen. <laughs> talk about Ellen. You know, and the thing is, because we're in lockdown, there's time to talk about Ellen. There's time to talk about the Black Lives Matter. There's time to talk about what you're going to eat. Like, you have time for all of it. Yeah, I mean, people are ragging on people talking about Ellen because everything else is going on in the world, but I don't think most people understand how how much the lifeblood of the entertainment industry is based on gossip. I mean, we work in a very exploitive, abusive industry. And oh, yeah. all, all we have to survive is spreading the gossip of how everybody is always suffering. Anyone that's not at the top is suffering. Even the people at the top think they're suffering. Um, you know, development agents don't, development people don't work to get the best stuff on TV. They work to get their other development people fired so they can be the only development person. <laughs> it's right. a very vicious world. Um, so to know that this gossip that has been in the industry for so long is finally out, 
you know, we want to celebrate. We want to remember what gossip was. It's like, it's like when, I mean, I know Louis is like not, he's now he's an alt-right comedy star, but when yeah. he was canceled, it was that same kind of catharsis of like, yes, the gossip, we can finally, you know, openly talk about this situation. Right. Um, you know, give us that little bit, give us that little bit of triviality. It's yeah. truly all we have. <laughs> Just truly all we have. And look, we, we still got time to get out in the streets and time to donate and all that good stuff. Um, we can do it all. Uh, in other news, um, I'm going to skip around a little bit here. Uh, there is... Uh, unreleased Joan Rivers material that will be coming out in 2021. Uh, physically, it'll be coming out in a box set, and then it'll, there will be a big digital release as well via Comedy Dynamics. Um, as to what those the material is, it's unspecified, but um, given that Joan was very meticulous in cataloging and crafting her material, uh, you know, that she had basically this giant um, bookcase of index cards that had every one of her jokes on it. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that we haven't heard. Um, is that something you you might be looking forward to, Sam? Oh, well, it's interesting. You know, in core, um, one thing a lot of us are doing are just revisiting classics that we enjoy. Um, and I've been I've been enjoying and really kind of re looking from a new lens at some of my comedy favorites, like uh, The State and um, Strangers with Candy and Sarah Silverman show and just all those shows that now um, I kind of classify as like the 90s 2000 era of soft irony comedy which is basically just embodying the you know uh, extreme caricatures of you know racist dumb ignorant uh, people but the comedy is in that the creators are assuming that the audience knows that these are commentary on this kind of people and that they don't actually like condone the actions. Uh, but you know, nowadays, especially as we're re-examining like uh, the white supremacy system and how the oppression works, um, it's kind of interesting because you really can't assume, like you really can't assume how many people that are, um, petitioning to not wear masks, you know, going to um, state Senate houses with guns. How many of those people might have watched some of these comedy shows and gotten the wrong message from it? So it's very interesting just to think about, um, like, I can still enjoy these shows because I do understand the intent of the creator and they are uh, nostalgic. Um, but it is definitely interesting how the way that the system was being attacked even as recently as 10 years uh, 20 years ago was in a way an upholding of the system. It was basically showing the system for what it is. Right. Um, but not actually taking the steps to go beyond that. It was just kind of like commenting on the insanity of those systems. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Joan was a very, a very amazing comedian, very, very biting, very mm -hmm. cutting. And oh, yeah. so, um, I would be interested to see how those bites and cuts work now because a lot of comedians that were really going for the jugular back in the day, um, it might not come across in the same way now. And that's a bummer. And if you have the, um, 
historical lens to understand when she was talking and what she was talking about, you'll obviously still enjoy it. Right. But, um, sorry, someone knocking. Um, but yeah, uh, it's just, I, I am interested slash afraid for the, uh, Joan Rivers estate. Right. Sure. Yeah, I don't know that Joan necessarily has a like a, a joke that probably would age as poorly as let's say um, Sam Kinison's whole thing about uh, people in Ethiopia needing to move where the food is. But uh, you know, she was definitely ribald, very blue, and um, yeah, she's uh, a kind of woman, you know, mm-hmm. the the way women are portrayed and, and talked about, and the way women talk about themselves is very different now too. So. Right. I think that's something that people will have to weigh and balance when they watch that and engage with it, especially if they've not been familiar with Joan, because, I mean, she was sort of leading a charge, blazing a trail for who she was and who, um, where women were in comedy and where she took them. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, uh, yeah, there's probably stuff that is problematic and has definitely not aged well. Um, I just hope for my own personal benefit that, you know, one of those albums includes the, uh, uh, show where James Adomian opened for her, uh, a story that James <laughs> tells quite a bit and is quite lovely, uh, cause it was, uh, an epic, epic evening that had a lot of back and forth with Joan fans and Joan herself, uh, and James trying to do his best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... I, 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 um, I definitely respect Joan for who she was and what she was doing and the struggles that she was fighting against. And, um, you know, I, I am still awaiting a really good biopic. Um, but yeah, I just hope that whoever Tommy Dynamics or whoever's in charge of what's being released, you know, um, that they do their best to preserve her legacy in a way that, um, doesn't turn off the younger generations because she does have a lot of good things to say that are still important. Yeah, uh, she does. Uh, and I will say that she did a lot to adapt throughout the years of her doing comedy. Although, I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that she had a problem paying her writers right at the end and forcing them to strike um, just to get paid fairly on being overworked on fashion police, which is crazy to think that you're overworked on fashion police. <laughs> you're like cracking the whip for them to write more offensive jokes about what people dress like. You know, it was the content that was needed at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we had had the writer's strike yet. I don't think internet and I don't think that the world of content was really what it is today. So it was our first taste of, you're not a TV writer, you're a content creator. Mm-hmm. Right. I uh, know. I think we had the first writer's strike, but it had been a while, and we hadn't had a, a strike that dealt with content like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. the one uh, that caused the reality shows, that writer's strike? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah we had that long, one, one long ago. Um, <laughs> I want to briefly mention this because I mostly want to, I mean, I, I really want to talk about your experience in county quarantine, but. Um, while we have had some, you know, he, things here and there that have uplifted uh, comedy venues, comedians um, in this time of the pandemic uh, in terms of recovery and survival uh, financially, 
uh, namely Mike Birbiglia's uh, Tip Your Weight Staff. Uh, there was a big uh, benefit that Howie Mandel hosted uh, that went to working comedians that are out of work. Um, and then individual venues have kind of done their own thing um, in raising money to uh, pay off their leases uh, and stuff like that. The Pack Theater being one, uh, the Comedy Store being another. Um, and venues across the country have done that as well. But there hasn't been a federal level comprehensive package that has uh, saved live comedy, live entertainment for that matter. Uh, here in America. But in the UK, uh, there was a cultural recovery fund that was just earmarked uh, at 1.14 billion in total uh, for the arts um, that have, I mean, you know, you, yes, I mean, it's not as an essential business as a lot of what is being categorized as an essential business, but it's certainly hard, one of the hardest hit industries uh, in this time. And so, of that 1.14 billion dollars uh the first uh there will be a first wave of that that will be issued that is uh coming with 647.3 million dollars um that is ear earmarked for all sorts of live performance venues that include comedy venues um and there will be 2.9 million that goes to grassroots venues uh and that's leaving 334 million dollars uh for recovery later uh, as needs deem necessary um why do they care about comedy more in the uk i mean i am not uh is it anglophile i'm not uh yeah, yeah, too up on the uk scene sure um but it does i mean and i don't know i really don't know what the tone of the uk is post brexit um oh it's not good <laughs> i could just kind of to collectively tell you not good <laughs> I guess it just kind of seems like, uh, I don't know, I guess it's, um, yeah, I guess I never thought of, I feel like there's a lot of other cultures and countries that I understand making um, the effort to keep their cultural traditions and monuments and uh, places of worship or just places of celebration, whatever, alive. Uh, the UK is not on that list in my mind. Um, <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, uh, I'm assuming they're doing better than us re-COVID being so much of a smaller country. Do you know if that's true or not? Well, I know that they are, they were enforcing strict lockdown measures um, and they just started opening up. There was a troublesome thing that, um, Boris Johnson commented on that uh, businesses came to him and said that uh, the social distancing guidelines of six feet or two meters uh, was not enough um, of a leash for them to uh, effectively make enough money. So they they put that down to, I think, like well, one meter or two feet or something like that, <laughs> uh, because pubs are so small. Um, <laughs> And that has resulted in people doing crazy shit, like putting an electrical fence around the bar at a pub. Oh, no. Just to make sure people are effectively distanced from the bartender. And um, yeah, I don't know how well that's gonna go. <laughs> um, I mean, I, oh, it is, it's just interesting because in a way it seems like, you know, uh, there's a National Independent Venue Association here in America that's trying to work 
on getting federal funding for federalstages.com. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it, like you said, it's maybe not an essential business at this point in time. Um, but culturally, you know, entertainment, live entertainment is um, really important to our social uh, existence. You know, right. um, it's, a, it's a community activity. It's something that brings a lot of people together. It's a lot of, you know, what starts relationships and starts right. uh, podcasts and TV shows. It's a, live entertainment is a wellspring for the rest of the community yeah. at large. Um, so, Economically, I would say it's even a driver as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, I it's about. Oh, <laughs> oh, um, if you think about that, California is often touted as one of the top economies in the world. I think the last thing I read was it's like the fifth biggest economy in the world. And so much of its economy has to do with entertainment and live entertainment. Yeah. And live entertainment, you know, really facilitates cross country, cross state intermixing of people from different places, both audiences coming to see the shows, performers coming to see the shows, performers going from town to town, you know, that broadening their scope for their creativity. In general, it seems like investing in live entertainment is a major sign of a government uh, envisioning a future for its people, <laughs> which uh, the United States at this point, we don't really know uh, if there's any interest in maintaining uh, society for the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's that broad. I mean, people are trying to even save restaurants. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, like, we have to say, yeah, yeah. There's so many industries that are, you know, not not just businesses that are closing, but there are industries that may never come back the same way again. And live entertainment is definitely one of those. Right. Um, but it is such a cultural touchstone across all countries, all people, all cultures. Um, so it is, it, it, it does make you, it does make you question along with the, everything else in the way that the U.S. has handled COVID, um, what, how we are going to, uh, how we are going to have a future. Like we're everybody here, it feels like at least everybody in my scope, which are performers and other people in entertainment, um, no one really has any idea of what is going to happen next. Right. And it would be, you know, I don't want to make the direct comparison because uh, it seems uh, reductive and I don't have enough knowledge to go into the original situation. But I think that losing entertainer, entertainers on such a scope would be similar to the loss of the community that we had during the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, so many artists and performers and visionaries just lost due to government ignorance you know right. um so we've seen it happen before to a marginalized group um i hope that we can find a way to fight the systems that are trying to uh decimate these communities before right. it's too late agreed agreed <laughs> Um, I can also tell you that in the UK, they're big on drive-in shows, but um, that only works for people that can pull in the amount of people that would come in the drive-in show and support the amount of money that you have to put in that. Um, yeah, scaling down to a lot of indie stuff, uh, a lot of people don't have an answer. But that brings us to Comedy Quarantine and what you've been doing. I would say Comedy Quarantine has been the most, um, like the longest running show 
live stream wise uh, in all of this pandemic? I mean, you've been doing it pretty much, I'd say for a few other weeks, like five nights a week. Um, yeah, we're on our 20th week right now. And yeah. next Friday is our 100th episode. Um, so, I mean, just give me a quick rundown or for the audience, I mean, how did it come about? Did you decide that it was going to go this long or like, uh, what, what do you see it going into the future and all that sort of thing? Well, yeah, I mean, Comedy Quarantine, uh, for those who don't know, is a Monday through Friday comedy show, uh, five nights a week. It's from seven, it's at 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, and yeah, we've been doing it Monday through Friday since about the, I think it's the last week of March. Yeah. Uh, you pretty, started like pretty much immediately. Yeah, our, we did. Our first show was, like you said, a big uh, fundraiser show specifically for an LA organization, Ground Game LA, that had one of the first mutual aid funds um, to support uh, our homeless neighbors, our houseless neighbors, as well as just anyone in LA that was in need. Um, so after that, we decided to continue it uh, as a an everyday show on the weekdays. Uh, so our, our first regular show was the 23rd of March. Um, at the time of this recording, it's August 4th. And, you know, we kept it going. It's It's been a real journey. Um, you know, the show was the brainchild of uh, Teresa Lee, Babs Gray, who are two hosts of the shows, and myself. Um, and our, our original idea was just we wanted to do something that would help, you know, keep the comedy community tied together in some small way. Right. Um, you know, we wanted to figure out a way to adapt, seeing that the, we could tell that the live entertainment industry was going to be on hold for a while. Um, and I think all of us just needed something to hang on to. <laughs> I think the three of us just really, really. needed something to make the days mean something you know we, we have a weekend because of the show nice. um, do you yeah you appreciate the structure that it gives you something to look forward to every day and then like having... oh, yeah i mean i'm definitely a person that needs to keep busy to not go fully insane um, same here so yeah it's definitely been um it's definitely been a nice uh it's something to hold on to you know we kept the show going during the uprising but definitely uh changed the tone of it you know, yeah. for a while, it was just kind of like a sounding board for anybody that had something they wanted to say. Uh, didn't have to be comedy related. We had some people reporting in live from the protests. Uh, Alice Wetterlin mm -hmm. came on, yeah. got arrested, came on the next day to talk about being arrested. Uh, broadcast, I think, from a protest directly. No, yeah, no, she was protest. She was broadcasting until they arrested her, and then she came on the next day to talk about the arrest. Yeah. Uh, so it's been, it's, it's gotten back to more comedy focus now. Um, but yeah, it's just been an interesting, it's been a great, it's been a great journey to keep it going. You know, it's kind of one of those things that is, I think so built into our core system that it would be kind of, it would be very strange to stop it. And we do still have people that want to perform and do stuff. So we'll keep it going. As long especially, as the that wants to watch and performers that want to perform. Right, exactly. And especially, I, I think it would be strange to stop going because um, every, well, I, I mean, you could go into this more, in more detail, but you, you choose and support so many different organizations and charities. 
um, whether it was on a daily basis or a weekly basis. Uh, yeah, I mean, like we were saying, like live entertainment and stuff like that is not quote unquote essential at this moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I said, we're I'm aware that you know my audience has limited funds and there are so many places in need. Um, you know, we were we did the, our first show was a our first show was a charity. Our first weekly shows were uh, to support the comics. But you know, as the world turned upside down and mutual aid is needed by so many different groups doing so much good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we wanted to use our platform to try to help mm -hmm. those places as well that, you know, we couldn't donate to on our own. Um, so just trying to incorporate the community at large as well as supporting our uh, comedians, which we're continuing to this day. Um, but it's definitely, um, it's definitely not, uh, it's not a it's not a money maker where no one's getting rich off of it. No. Uh, we're paying comics, you know, ten to fifteen dollars each, which is um, more than they would get paid sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's a free show that's still paying people, which is unheard of in free core times. So yeah. we're definitely we're definitely just trying to maintain some sort of stability from the past life, um, and. It's just been really cool to see, you know, our audience grow. We have regulars. We have people coming in from all over the world. Um, and, you know, these comics are, it's, it's, these comics have a lot of pent up funny in them. Oh, and, sure. you know, I, my personal, you know, my personal favorite way to see a comedian is have them put in some sort of uh, new or different situation because usually mm -hmm. comedians riffing is like the funniest thing. That's why there's so many theme shows. <laughs> right. uh, so, you know, this show is basically a time capsule of like what this moment in time is and what a comedian's mind looks like coming from their bedroom. And, um, you know, I've been archiving all of the episodes, recording them. So I don't know if we'll do anything about one day. Um, but it is, it's just been a really good, at least for me in my role of the show as producer and uh, booker, um, it's been really eye-opening because it does keep me in touch with the community, like I was saying earlier, as far as, like, people's, where people are at and what the tone is and, um, who is doing what and who, um, doesn't want to do what and, um, it's, I, I'm thankful because I feel like even before the quarantine, um, I was always a very considerate booker as far as I want to make sure there's kind of different voices on every show, that there's representation. And I think you did uh, a good job of that, that, for sure. I mean, I definitely am known as, uh, uh, if you're a white guy, it's hard to get on my shows. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's known. Um, cool. That's, did somebody send you an email with that? Like, ugh, I'm white and straight. I know that it's hard for me to get on the show. I mean, I've seen emails about me sent like that. So <laughs> I definitely know there are, there are some people who don't get it, quote unquote. Um, but I feel like the core has helped me grow even more in just like being sensitive to over-asking, you know, trying not to uh, hound people for stuff, you know, making... It's been really nice because it's also gotten away from the headliner crutch, which okay. obviously there are a lot of headliners that I love. Um, but they're busy or they're resting or they're unavailable. So um, it's been really nice to have a show where I could just get people on who are funny um, or who have something to say. Um, 
And so it's just been a really nice, a nice constant in my life and uh, really helped me read the room as far as like, when it's the time to do live shows, how are, how can we improve the live streaming? Right. Um, just a would lot you, of real time feedback. Yeah. Are, is that something you would possibly entertain is like doing a hybrid of like having a show in a venue with limited audience and then streaming it? Yeah. I mean, in addition to comedy quarantine, I've been doing my show picture this mm -hmm. on Zoom and now with Littlefield. Um, we haven't done a live component of that. I, as, like, as I said before, someone who's like a vulnerable COVID group, like I'll probably be not the first one to have a, a live show. Um, there are so many going on right now that I'm obviously not the first one, but um, I definitely don't think that live streaming is going to go away. And I do, um, you know, our comedy quarantine shows, we try to just keep up for 24 hours and then delete them. So there's some semblance of ethereality to right. comedy. Right. Um, but I, I think in a way it's been good for us to see that there can be live streaming uh, that doesn't immediately equal somebody creating a bootleg of your comedy and usurping your career. Right. Um, I think that was a fear amongst a lot of performers and, you know, mindful producers. Um, sure. So I think now that we've kind of seen that that's not the case and that live streaming is really just the doorway to a lot of uh, more audiences that you couldn't get before. Um, I'm definitely excited to keep an element of that in my future projects. Yeah, I'm excited to see that too. I mean, if something, I mean, you know, the shows that you were doing uh, before quarantine, whether it's the business or Neil Hamburger, um, so many, even just like one-offs or even being like involved in, um, 51st jokes, stuff like that. I mean, your reach goes so far, Sam. <laughs> I'm, uh, a, I'm a worker bee. People like a worker bee. <laughs> you're a cool worker bee. Um, that, like, the idea of somebody in Japan being able to stream that because they can't get over here to LA or New York or whatever is really cool. And I would actually add, too, with Picture This, that's been live streaming. What's fun about that is because it's using the share screen feature on zoom you can see the drawing more clearly instead of like if you're somebody like me who likes standing in the back because that's where i like to stand um, sometimes it can be hard are you still standing at home when you watch stuff no and it's another part of how much i hate all of this uh, <laughs> i have to just sit in this chair like i'm seated now all of your all of your canes are just covered in a thin layer of dust um, no, I still take my cane out like when I, I mean, it's all like performative for me, but that's part of my self care. Like, yeah, I'm not really getting utility out of my vanity canes, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm still getting dressed up every day and stuff like that. I'm not. <laughs> no, I, I'm finding every week that I'm more and more alone in that regard. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, uh, I, I would really relish the idea of, uh, that Brit being sort of bridging the gap. And I feel like you've done a lot with how stand can be done on Instagram live, which I think is probably being uh, often denigrated as one of the lower like live streaming platforms. Cause I mean, it is a lower, like, I mean, it's so glitchy and like, 
it, the algo is really aggressive right now. We're this this week in particular, we're trying to figure out better ways to serve the algo so that things don't get lost in the crossfire. So, um, you know, let us know in the comments if you like what we're posting <laughs> because uh, so far we've seen that the algo likes Twitter, right. Twitter reposts. Okay. And that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I assume it has to do with the advertising uh you know how they're talking about how they're trying to integrate um kind of a youtube style advertising platform to get influencers right. to um earn money on the platform but you know they're testing it with you know two very normal everyday accounts that have one and 1.5 million followers each so you know if those little babies can make it work then they can really go after the big hundred thousand hundred million follower people and Right. You know, where does that leave us as as eight thousand k follower? Yeah, I don't know where that goes. Smaller, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Follow the Comedy Bureau on Instagram, everybody. That'd be really, really <laughs> great. Uh, I think I'm at like twenty five hundred or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I. Uh, it's. It's it's an interesting thing i mean uh, not only in tech but the, like you know as sort of a blanket statement a lot of the richest people got richer and uh in this time of the pandemic and uh you know figuring out more ways to squeeze more money for people that already have a lot of money uh, I mean, even in just how you explain that of just like booing up people that already have a large subscriber base and they probably make a decent living off of that just being a, effectively a walking, talking billboard. Um, yeah, what does that mean for us? I don't know. <laughs> but Venmo is a thing and that is direct. Uh, I mean, <laughs> effectively a, a, a great aid and mutual aid for people. Yeah, I mean, our whole show, Comedy Quarantine, is based off of just Venmo and PayPal tips. The show is free, um, right. but we, you know, make it clear that tips are what run the show and help pay everybody and donate. Right. Um, you know, even in Picture This, we, we sell tickets on a donation, you know, so just a donation basis. Um, but we still have our tip jar because, right. you know, every little bit helps. Every little bit does help. And every once in a while you run into somebody and they give you a lot. And um, that is really, really nice. Yeah. Is there anything you're seeing, I guess we'll say summer of 2022, <laughs> it pains me to say that. Um, just post-pandemic of where comedy might go and what might happen with it. Well, uh, I'll say it again. As someone who's COVID uh, in a COVID-susceptible group, um, it's definitely a scary time right now because, you know, like most things, I feel like a lot of the worst people are the first ones out the gate for the next wave. Um, and it really concerns me as uh, an issue of ableism, the way some of these shows are, are being set up and run, and oh, yeah. just the general ethos of 
Um, it won't be for everybody when we start. Um, I understand that that is a bit of a reality if you need to make money right now, but I, I personally don't want to do a live show until I can, you know, be a hundred percent confident that I won't cause somebody to get COVID in some way. Sure. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, we've had the first wave of the Rogans and the Brian Callens and everybody going on the road, the DL Hughley's fainting on stage and finding out he has COVID, the right. and, uh, number of hot spots that have blown up around the clubs that are open in the country and having mm -hmm. comedy shows. And right. the fact that laughter is one of the most dangerous ways to spread COVID. Um, right. Not to mention disinfecting a microphone with a Lysol wipe uh, is probably not enough. Yeah, I mean, definitely um, in the in the time when I was entertaining a live show option before LA's recent major spike, um, I was definitely thinking, you know, two mic stands, ideally more if it's at a venue, it would be outdoors, but I had an idea to do one at a venue that has an outdoor space. Right. Um, so if the venue had enough, it would be a mic and a cord and a mic stand for everybody. At a minimum, it's a mic and a mic cord for everybody right. um you know neil hamburger actually he always brings his own mic because mm -hmm. he does some stuff with the mic that some venues might not like um, oh, yeah. but also because he has he is a bit germaphobic um yeah. and so now it's not germaphobic now it's just i think it'll be standard to byo and mic yeah. Um, and yeah i think i think that the live drive-in comedy is definitely the way that I think it should go. Um, I know in places like New York and um, other major cities, a lot of outdoor bar spaces are being converted into stages with, you know, seating for people eating meals and stuff like that. And that's definitely a little scary for me. Um, I definitely saw a photo of somebody performing, you know, not on a stage, just on the ground. Um, so at the same eye level, as an audience member less than six feet away that had their mouth wide open because they were eating. Um, and I don't know if that comic is really understanding the risks that they're putting themselves in or if the producer of Comedy Club behind it understands the true risk of what they're putting them in. Um, I so, they do. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've been monitoring the situation in New York as a producer that had cross country shows. Um, and I'm sure, you know, New York is opening up again. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in theory, more permanently and faster than LA. Um, but I've just been seeing people report on it in ways that, I mean, for, I don't know if they actually went through with it, but for a moment, the phases for New York were set up in two week increments where it's like, you won't even get the results of the first phase until you're already halfway through the second phase. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? Yeah. Um, so I know, I've seen a lot of people trying to use stats and statistics to prove that it's safe to be live, but you know, all stats and statistics are, uh, well, they were, you know, at least delayed. There's at least that kind of three week period afterwards where you'd see what the results. Mm -hmm. um, but now that everything's going through the White House and not the CDC, you know, all the stats are kind of out the window now, anyways. Right. So, um, not to mention, I, it is just COVID 19 is just as infectious and contagious as it was in March. That yeah, changed. yeah. There's no. They've proven that there's no herd immunity. That yeah. there's no uh, immunity. There isn't. I mean, people are still getting the antibody tests, but they've proven that the antibody tests don't actually prevent you from getting 
uh, COVID again, it's possible. Right. And they're not even 100% accurate. Yeah. And, you know, the only, it seems like the only thing we found is that it's hard for babies to get it. But yeah. now that if we're going to be opening schools, like, it's going to be, it's truly, it, it's, it's just at this point in time, post-comedy, post-pandemic comedy to me, um, it's very morbid, but I really hope that the people that are being idiotic and unsafe and ableist, um, I kind of hope it Darwin's, you know? I hope that the post-pandemic, post, post, I mean, we already have Rogan leaving California, like, good riddance, like, go to your incomeless gun state, it's fine. So I'm kind of hoping that's the trend, that the, yep. the bad guys get out of here and whatever the final form is, right. is made up by the considerate and the people who are thinking about long-term, right. long-term stability and safety yeah. uh, and not those working out of disparity. Right. I agreed. And again, I mean, I get that like, you know, comedians want to get back out there and do comedy and venues want to start making money again, but it's just, it's still a dangerous situation and being like in tightly, enclosed dark spaces with people is just and sharing microphones or people's like it's just not a thing that is i would be advisable at the moment you know yeah and i mean something that people who aren't chronically ill might not understand or people that haven't had issues with law enforcement or other bureaucracies um you don't want to get in the system you yep. know you could if you get covid from going to one of these comedy shows, you know, you're trapped now in the medical system. You're either trapped physically in the space because you need to be on a respirator. You're trapped due to the, um, you know, COVID tracking, having to check in and tell, you know, tell your friends, hey, I might have given you COVID. You know, I don't think people are really realizing what could happen. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not even like a, you know, it's not even like, a, oh, you'll only get it if people don't wash their hands after the bathroom. It's literally like, you're more likely to get it than not get it. And that's, um, that's just straight up ableist thinking. That's just people that don't understand um, what could happen if things go wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, if you don't do those simple things of social distancing and wearing a face mask. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely... Um, it's definitely an interesting time and there are comics that I know that are participating in live events right now and um, honestly I also kind of think it's tacky at this point <laughs> like I think that um, I think it'll there will be a point when everybody goes back to doing live shows because universally it's seen as safe um, but until then we're going to have a lot of people kind of showing their colors oh, based yeah. on what they're doing and when mm -hmm. they're doing it and you know friendships will be made mm -hmm. difficult it's gonna it's there's gonna be a lot of social upheaval um it's gonna be a very different comedy world you know i hope things like delia being canceled and stuff like that stick oh yeah um, i hope so too there's not really it's a very interesting time because we don't even really have the industry pillars to balance off that at this point, like, um, you know, Netflix is still a thing, Hulu is still a thing, Amazon, um, but you know, Comedy Central is essentially dead, mm -hmm. True TV <laughs> is essentially dead, 
Um, a lot of the, you know, arbiters, uh, doorkeepers of the entertainment industry, they've straight up just failed because they also weren't making money. Um, yeah, uh, CAA just fired 90 agents. Oh, nice. That's what they get for leaving UTA, right? it's the final salvo yeah so it's 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 really hard to imagine what it's going to be but i do really hope that the um ultimate ending is uh brought to us by the people that were sensitive enough to wait till it was safe to do things absolutely I, I will I won't name which specific venue right now, but I know that there are venues that uh, are like they stand with that principle and like they their their standard for reopening would be um, you know will an immunocompromised person be comfortable performing in a packed room at this theater? And if yeah. they do, then we'll reopen. If not, then absolutely not. Yeah, I mean it's it is in a way it's just it's discrimination to not be um, open for all. And, you know, this is talking about an industry that, you know, regularly doesn't have wheelchair access for the stage, regularly doesn't even have, uh, you have to take the stairs to get to the performance room. Um, you know, there's been a lot of issues. I mean, we have to wrap up, but, you know, there have been issues both with spaces not being ADA compliable in a way that's reasonable and people taking advantage of those ADA um, accessibilities not being there and kind of uh, tarnishing the idea of being ADA safe right. out of fear of legal issues. Oh, that's um, like a whole nother episode of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'd ha- be happy to have you on to talk about because that was a, that was a. Yeah. I mean, I apologize to the audience as far as I'm a very, uh, uh, I wouldn't say deep thinker, but I'm a very dense talker. So sure. No, I, I think these are a lot of great insights that um, if people haven't heard already, they should hear and definitely hearing uh, from somebody, an authority figure, I would say, uh, like you, yourself is uh, very crucial. And I, you know, I think a lot of people are just kind of second guessing and maybe willfully ignoring some facts, some stats, some rules, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have shot, uh, shot off a number of my own emails to friends and coworkers just kind of being like, hey, you should have not as many white people on this show or you should have more whatever. So I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely trying to be out there and trying to advocate for some of these people and causes that um, might not be on the forefront of people's minds who are straight up just trying to survive. Um, but I do think that ultimately any short-sighted profits or moves to make money are ultimately going to fail if they aren't inclusive and if they aren't um, acknowledging the reality of the disease and the changes in our, in our entire world that are going on. Yeah. 100%. I know you got to really get out of here. Thank you so much for all that. I think that was really, really wonderful. Everything. Yeah. It's good talking to you. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if people want to check out Comedy Quarantine, it's at Comedy Quarantine on Instagram. Like I said, Monday through Friday, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard, 10 p.m. Pacific Standard. And my um, my kind of tentpole show from Precore that, like Jake was saying, is actually kind of better on Zoom. <laughs> uh, picture this. You can find that at pictureofthisshow.com. 
Uh, we're going to be, our next show is Friday the 21st uh, with Littlefield and the Animation Block Party. And then after that, uh, starting September 12th, we'll be every second Saturday with Littlefield. It's right. a $10 signature donation, but uh, like Comedy Quarantine, you know, we really just rely on tips, give what you can. Hopefully the, with more money, we'll pony up more. Right. Um, but yeah, just try to try to find your laughs in this time. <laughs> Oh, where can people go to sign up for a newsletter where they can get all this information uh, emailed to them? Oh, yeah. Um, my website, nativecomedy.org. Uh, there should be a pop-up of the mail uh, mail link or on my Instagram at nativecomedy. There's a link there. Um, I, I send weekly emails just with the flyers of my shows. Right. Uh, no muss, no fuss. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I've been saying, I... I really try to do shows for the people, so. Um, and, you, and you really do, and <laughs> you really do. So I really, do, I really, any, any support is truly graciously received. Um, Jake, I don't know if this is a pull behind the curtain, but mm-hmm. I am a one woman entity of Naked uh-huh. Comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, so the funds really get spread far and wide when you donate yeah. to me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, same. I mean, I I hope people realize that a lot about comedy uh, in this time is that a lot of uh, people behind the scenes, it is a one person solo operation for a lot of it. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't want to do what we want to what we do. Yeah, um, people like what we do, but they don't want to do it. No, no, they just want to <laughs> hang out and use their drink tickets. Um, it's so great to have you on. So great to see you, Sam. Um, I am Jay Kroger. Uh, I run the Comedy Bureau. You can see, follow the Comedy Bureau at the Comedy Bureau across platforms. Go to thecomedybureau.com. There's so many other causes, as we've said several times throughout the show, to support uh, at this time. Please support those. But if you have money after, uh, give it to Comedy Quarantine. If you have money after that, give it to the Comedy Bureau because I do need help. Um, Patreon, Venmo, uh, GoFundMe, all those things. All that will be in the show notes. Um, do you have anything to say as we sign off here? Uh, just, you know, be safe, be considerate of your fellow man, woman, person, um, you know, try not to get caught up in the rhetoric. Um, the last thing that I'll say is I was listening to the Daily Zeitgeist and they were talking about how the fundamental, one of the fundamental differences between Neanderthals and Homo sapiens when we were evolving, uh, Neanderthals were stronger than us and in their battles, they would physically win. Um, but Homo sapiens won the you know race battle or whatever uh eventually because they always had more numbers coming back and Mm -hmm. the scientists believe this is because the homo sapiens were better at engaging in a narrative um so people were more uh invigorated and riled up to fight for their cause uh which we're seeing today go wrong but Mm -hmm. i'm hoping that you know we can also use that tool to work towards the good, good things that we can get in the world with that kind of unity. Yeah, uh, I concur. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, I, as I like to say at the end of every episode, uh, comedy is still happening, and as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. Enjoy it. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Guineo, artwork by Andrew Delman and KT, and part of the Believe Podcast family.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.